You're tuned in. To Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Easily the most familiar strain from a pretty much loved solo Lou Reed album. He's had some duds, or shall we say, filler amongst pieces of genius. I think that's a piece of genius. Street Hassle, off the album of the same name. It was released in 1978, that's why we're looking at it, because of our obsession with round numbers, and it's a fair enough excuse to delve in and get the nostalgia troms flowing through your hypothalamus. Grant, hi. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I love this. I love this. Yeah. Especially that tune. It's a bit of general duddery gathered around it, it has to be said. He liked to self-sabotage a bit, didn't he? Yeah, he actually became a bit of a parody of himself in some ways. Yeah. Around about this time. In 1978, he was probably at the height of his rampant drug experimentation use addiction. Yeah. And also, apparently, from various interviews around the time, quite concerned that his rough-ass street poet thing was being overtaken by younger players on the block. Yeah. Punk had kicked in a year earlier and so on, and he felt a bit redundant here and there, I think. He also did take up the position, as has been attested to, of the arbiter. He would go and see these bands and give them points out of ten and tell them whether they could carry on or not. (laughs) I can picture that. I interviewed him once, actually. It was the scariest interview of my life because he's known to be so septic with journalists. And he was pretty septic, actually. But he also had a bit of a sense of humour percolating away. Yeah? What did you get out of him? Oh, I got him talking about his penis, which Mm. was excellent. He had just put out an album called The Raven based around Edgar Allan Poe stories. And it was the fact that he wanted to bang on about that double LP overblown thing that meant that he made himself available for interviews for a change, which he hadn't done much of for years. And so we started talking about that, and then he went, you don't care about the Raven anyway. You journalists are all the same. You wanted to hear about the Velvet Underground and my junkie years. Really, ultimately, you just want to know how big my cock is. And I said, "Um, yeah, actually, (laughs) how big's your cock? And he laughed. That was what it took to get him on side, and he went, it's only about 11 inches, but today it's pretty cold in New York City. And yeah. then he was suddenly decided he semi-liked me, at least enough to talk to me for another 15 minutes. If he'd only ever been in the Velvet Underground, his legacy wouldn't be that much diminished. I think he's done spectacular things through the solo records. Winnow away the shabbier things. The thing is, we cut Lou a lot of slack due to his past greatness, but goodness me, in so many of his solo albums... There's just a lot of filler. And then a diamond. Yes, totally. Coney Island Baby also got slammed when it came out. I think there's just glorious things on that. Mm. And amongst stuff that you could just hit the skip button on. And this is the same. Like, I think the title track here is possibly the best thing he ever did. As a solo performer, I deeply love that. Every chord and note in it, I think, is marvellous. You know, I think it was a real return to form as a really insightful observer of New York underbelly street life sort of thing that he'd done right down back to the early um, Velvet Underground things. Marvellous. Yeah, I agree. It's so long, that's why we'll divvy it up. We'll just talk about each piece 
uh, ahead and a little bit during while it's playing. When make why, no, not, why the hell not? No, no apologies about doing that as well, because that's what this is about. It's about the tunes more than the tunes. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it opens into what is quite tender sort of a thing called Walsing Matilda. It goes from a pickup in a bar to a sex scene where somebody's paid money for the sex in question and there are sort of references in there that the person is possibly gay or had a sex change themselves. One of the partners and the other one seems like a sort of male gigolo sort of character. Yeah, it's, it's slightly have... ambiguous. It's a, I think it's a male yeah. prostitute, really, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and they have this sexual encounter that's mutually great and uplifted after the experience. It's, there's something kind of tender and great about it. There's a total lack of outrage or judgment about such a thing. This is an ordinary New York scene harming nobody and helping somebody. Yeah, great. Helping both parties, actually. It's, it's, it's lovely, I think. Gently, it was like she never ever come. And then sha la 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 la, sha la 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 la. When the sun rose and he made to leave, you know sha la 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 la, sha la 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 la. Neither one regretted a thing. All right, that's part one of the title track of Street Hassle. So scene two, it's a, it's a grittier scene. I take my hat off to Lou for this. I get a bit of dissonance in my head. Yes. This is an OD written from the point of view of a guy who's just probably sitting down, I would say. Someone's just OD'd, and that's the shit that happens in New York. Hello, here's how it happens. What I always found interesting about this, and still do, is there's a strange mix of callousness and good manners. Yes. In the protagonist. Someone's brought this woman to his house. 
they've all shot up or something. She's OD'd, and the guy is saying, you know, she's not breathing. It's nice to see you. I wish we had more time. We could speak, etc. But you need to grab her by her ankles and take her out to the alley because it will be embarrassing if she's found here by the police. And, and he's sort of mentally, when he talks to the other guy, and disparaging when he talks about the woman. It just reads really true. You can picture these characters really vividly, I think. And the music backing, of course, just makes it come across as tender. And it, it does. And in a yeah. lot of ways, it's not. It's, it's plain, uncomfortably plain. return of that cello um, that motif yeah. and some great sort of female vocals scattered through is very Velvet Underground style plucked electric guitar is the main other instrument it, it yeah. really harks back to early things that they did yeah. where, where they were sort of finger picked on a turned down quite quiet electric guitar it's got that great I call it an accessory guitar line you haven't heard it before in the thing and it's just perfectly formed over the top of it yeah, yeah great
that's part two. Part three. Oh, hello, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yes. Who did you think it? It's kind of strange, isn't it? And great. What's really. the story? There are numerous books where they mention, you know, the reason your man showed up on there and so on. A book by Nick Johnson called Lou Reed Talking. He says that Bruce Springsteen was mixing his own record in the studio below and Lou says, how fortuitous. People expect me to badmouth him because he's from New Jersey, but I think he's really fabulous. And he did the part so well that I had to bury him in the mix. He said, I knew Bruce would take that recitation seriously because he really is of the street, you know. There's another book where Bruce talks about it himself and says, yeah, Lou Reed called me up in the studio. We were at the record plant. I'd never really met him, but I liked his stuff. I always really liked it. He called me up and said, I got this part, and it was related to Born to Run. He said, come on upstairs, and he had these words, and I went upstairs, and so I did it in two takes, and he picked the best one, and I was really happy how it turned out. Well, it does have that line, tramps like us, we were born to pay. Yeah, yeah, there's a total Springsteen reference. It mm. makes you think that Lou has discovered that Springsteen's downstairs and dashed something out mm. that fits with the general vibe of things. Also, in a different book by Chris Roberts called Walk on the Wild Side, Lou talks about the fact that he knew Stevie Van Zandt, Springsteen's guitarist, mm. and that he'd approached him first to see if Bruce would do the monologue. Um, and he said that he would as long as we didn't use his name. So I don't think he's name-checked on the record at all. No. That's something in the age of Google and Wikipedia now everybody knows and no one knew at the time. Yeah, yeah. There was another thing I read where Lou Reed was saying, I like the way in this too, before you get Bruce coming in, it starts with quite a rough bass line, which plays the cello melody. The cello ducks out for a while and the, the bass line rumbles through that melody with a little bit of A single on. note contemplating. Great. Really good idea. It's not mucked up, is it? He, he didn't fall into the trap of, oh, let's make it more musically interesting. It's perfectly interesting as it is. It stays sparse in this last bit after Bruce. The orchestrations build up a bit and get slightly more elaborate. It's not just the cello. There's a few violins stuck in around back and forth, eh? but it stays really simple and privileges the words. And, uh, you know, after Bruce has done his bit, it's back to Lou for the final sort of verse and story about his ex-lover. An ex-lover which may or may not have anything to do with the first part of the three. It yeah. might just be a separate story altogether. Tender and lovely thing, I think. You know the story, though, don't you? Rachel, no. Rachel no. Humphreys. No. Rachel Humphreys was his lover for a long time. It used to be Richard Humphreys. I didn't know that. They were an item. Lou really loved her. And there were arguments about, please get a, a reassignment surgery. They even scheduled Rachel to have reassignment surgery, and Lou would say, why are you doing that? I love you because of the way you are. Yes. Um, there are lots of pictures of Rachel with Lou. They split. He got married in this year, but this album is often thought as an entire dedication to this woman, Rachel Humphreys, formerly Richard, and nobody knows what happened to her after that. Disappeared yeah, right. off the face of the planet. It's got li nice lines all through it, this, hasn't it? Like, took the rings off my fingers. Yeah. There's nothing left to say. Yeah, he's, he's a, can be a tender soul, considering what a hard ass he can be other times. Yeah.
their relationship ended in 77, wrote it, then released this, and married Sylvia Morales. So. Right. This feels, for all the world, a dedication to Rachel. So Great. Oh, good to know that. Because I've loved this for years, and it was almost like you had to battle through some of the less successful things on this record to get to it. You know, I used to put it on and play this tune, and then take it off. Me too. <laughs> Part three, Street Hassle. This, of course, is contiguous on the record, but nice to divvy them up. Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Believe me, that's just a lie. That's why she tells her friend. It's a real song, a real song that she wouldn't even admit to herself. Beating her heart. It's a song lots of people know. It's a painful song. We'll always say the truth. The last full of sad songs. The painful wish. She won't make it so With a pretty kiss Or a pretty face Can't have its way Don't trance like us We were born to pay Love has gone away And there's no one here now And there's nothing left to say But oh how I miss him, baby Oh, baby Come on and slip away Come on, baby Why don't you slip away? Love is gone There are drums, or a drum. Do you ask anyone, are the drums on Street Hassle? Um, you know, gold star, if you say yes. Just those two beats. What a yeah. brilliant idea. Yes, brilliant song. Okay, hats off, Lou, for that one. We'll delve into what we can of the rest of the album, Street Hassle, 1978. Live. Weekend. Variety. Wireless. If you've just tuned in now, we've done the treatise on the major piece from Street Hassle 1978, Lou Reed, and that's the title track, A Thing. There are other tunes on this goddamn thing. We'll just dip into bits of them. Most of the rest of this record is live. They took live recordings and then they overdubbed them afterwards, whacked solos over the top. But often they've started out as sloppy live things, which must have been something that he just decided was a ripping idea and then ended up with half of the semi-live record and that great street hassle track and then just sort of spot-welded them together. Give me some good times. Yeah, well, this is a deliberate self-parody, I think. Yeah. It basically uses the beginning of Sweet Jane, including the lyrics of standing on the corner, suitcase in my hand and all that palaver. Mm. And he seems to be deliberately giving his rock star persona of the day and his subject matter and everything else a bit of a hard time in a live show because so many other people have been around this time. I don't know why he chose to do that. Uncharitable self-parody, someone wrote in one of the reviews for it. Hey, if it ain't the rock and roll animal, it's up, what you doing, bro? Standing on the corner, I can see that, what you got in your hand? She kissing my hand. Oh, shit! What it is? Yeah, since 
and it's sort of muddy and murky and the vocals drift off key. It's the kind of recording that if it was your own band, you'd listen to it once and go, oh shit, we're not putting that out. You sound really like pretty shabby. I did make a note. <clears throat> uh, in the studio, when Lou Reed was putting down harmonies to his own voice here, uh, he would have said to the engineer, I want to do another one. What, you want to do another harmony on your voice? It doesn't work, Lou. No. You're not the friggin' Eagles. Riding through the city in the big cars And me, I ain't got nothing to do Give me, give me, give me some good times Give me, give me, give me some pain I think these tried to come crashing in with something rough half-formed and raw sounding. It seems like a conscious artistic choice with a deliberately sort of murky sound because they were experimenting with um, binaural recording where you have like a fake head with microphones where the ears would be. Stupid idea. Yeah. I've never listened to this record on headphones, but apparently it will always sound pretty heinous if you try and play these things through stereo speakers, but if you put headphones on, you're suddenly far more immersed in the sound of it but mm. the sound of it is actually muddy and deliberately unpleasant isn't it? <laughs> for most of this record we cut Lou a lot of slack don't we <laughs> that's right because he does such great things a lot of the rest of the time like I like the song that comes next which we should crash into which is yeah. called Dirt I do too it's a st slow sort of stomp drum wise fairly queasy sounding electric guitars also live but way better a concerted character assassination for someone he knows and loathes. Dennis um, Katz. Is it? His former manager. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah. The other thing I deeply love in this is partway through, gospel-style female vocals kicking underneath going, you're just cheap, 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 uptown dirt. And that's just fantastic. Yeah. I love that. Well, the thing I like most about it is a weird piano-y chord change. I would have liked more of that, but maybe it's just right. It's one of the tastier things on here, though, I think. I agree.
bit of dirt. Just samples of these because, rightly, we spent almost all the time on um, Street Hassle, the song. Okay, yeah. I want to be black. What the hell is going on with this band? This strikes me as more deliberate self-sabotage. A blatant attempt to be as offensive to me, as many groups as possible. African-Americans, Jews get given a hard time. Martin Luther's and Kennedy assassinations get semi-celebrated. Yep. It's apparently loosely based around a Lenny Bruce comedy sketch. Oh, yeah. Again, it's one of those things that just seems like the end of Lou that's not very likeable or very funny or astute or anything else, just him trying to piss people off. Yeah. That's how it sounds to me. Oh, yeah. And whoever's playing this guitar, probably Lou, you are out of it, mate. <laughs> yes. I want it black and that's rhythm. Shoot 20 feet of chisel too. And put up the two. I want to be black. I want to be a panda. Have a girlfriend named Samantha. And have a stable of proxy whores. Black from Street Hassle, 1978. We'll take another break and dabble with the other tracks left. The Weekend Variety Wireless. Lou Reed, Street Hassle, 1978. I reckon, despite him being probably as out of it and dangerously out of it and cantankerous as he was ever, ever going to be, this was his best look. Yeah. The dark glasses, but the leathery black, 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 black. With his lover, Rachel, black clothes, black... They look dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he could look fantastic, eh? Yeah. If you were to run into them in New York of an evening uh, and maybe get along, have a couple of drinks, whatever else took your fancy, at the very early stage, you couldn't confidently predict how it was going to end out. The night? No. 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 And you get that sort of feeling from... um, reading some of those Lester Bangs interviews, actually, where he did hang out with Lou and stuff as well. Oh. Nights could turn strange. Fit oh. the drop of a hat. Okay, well, one of the things, criticism, he kind of becoming a parody of himself, and you could point the finger to Real Good Time Together, which is a Velvet Underground tune, but I like this redo. Oh, same. All that heavy phasing vibrato on the guitar at the start just makes me think of the Shondells' Crimson and Clover, one of my favourite songs, with no drums for most of it. And there's just sonically something odd about it that I like. And it's not until um, two and a half minutes in that drums come pummeling in and then it tries to sound like a sort of Sex Pistols punk thrash for the rest of it. I I like the huge gap between the two types of arrangements. I think that's the point. We'll just play a bit of the the early arrangement and hear how it goes on to the second half. And I find it fascinating, interesting, uplifting. Yeah. 
Baby, we've got Shooting Star. Now, this is live, uh, another live one. It's, they they manage to keep the audience pretty much out of it, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear bits of them on intros and things and at the end on some of these things. But, but yeah, mm. mostly mostly not there. And this I wrote down when I first played it back to re-listen to it. Sounds glam and Bowie-ish on the <laughs> intro. <laughs> and, Same you know, here. Yeah. I put, hell, this sounds like Bowie. And then I just remembered, actually, it's the other way around. Bowie yeah. sounds like Lou. Yeah, or bits of both. They were joined at the hip for a while. Well, they were. Possibly quite literally. Bowie, Bowie was a pilgrim to yeah. the New York scene at that time. Yeah. Not 78. Yeah. Early, early, early on. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I suppose it's those the riffs where they're sort of... Um, You've got some sax playing along with the riff and so on. But you you nailed actually where it does come from yourself, didn't you? Um, Roxy Music's Mother of Pearl. What do you, you think? listen to them side by side. Yeah. They sound ridiculously similar. Same chord progression, same tempos. Yeah. You know. Same phrasing. When I listened to it, I thought, hell, that is, what is that? What, what, what is that? And then it came to me what yeah. it was. Okay, we'll just play them side by side, shall we? Do it. Silk 
Colin chord sequence, but there's uh, more than just that involved, isn't there? And yeah. Roxy Music, the likelihood of that album, Stranded, being in Lou's collection at the time since 1973, high. Yeah, yeah very high. <laughs> Agreed. It just lashed his own lyrics over the top. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They've got the uh, written in the studio vibe, those lyrics too, so yeah, that's something cobbled together. The next song, Leave nah, Me Alone. we've got to take another break. Okay. That's the way it is. The Weekend. Variety. Wireless. From 1978, Street Hassle, Lou Reed. It's the one with that glint off his dark glasses. And he looks freshly shaven. <laughs> yes. Really sh- freshly shaven. My God, yes. Uh, There's possibly even some cologne involved. Yeah. Who can say? Yeah. He was a good look, but behind those eyes, a hell of a lot of drug, bloody fog was going on. Edwardness. Yeah. yeah, we should name them: heroin, speed, and a lot of alcohol. And speed and alcohol, boy, they love each other. Yeah, I think he was an enthusiast to various um, prescription meds too. You know, just pills of various kinds, all sorts of things to go. Mm. And Bowie, he was talking to Bowie. Why don't you work on me with this? And Bowie said, "Yep, if you clean up." Now, people weren't wanting to work with him. It was pretty bad. Oh, Bowie got pretty messy himself around this I time. know, I know. But th- th- <laughs> so it's kind of comical, isn't it? <laughs> comical, or a testimony to exactly how out of it Lou was Yeah, yeah. in comparison. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. You get that, that sort of trio of prime movers of the era come through in this next song, I reckon, Leave Me Alone. Yeah. Again, it's got a sort of glam stomp to it and the sax part running under it. No, and no, it could no. be a Bowie or an Iggy live outtake of a certain era really easily I reckon this song it's just got that vibe all over it for me um, there's something great about it too not the whole thing but it, I think by the time the, the um, backing singers come in and start sort of chanting away in the background something something great where they leave me leave me alone thing.
I found a dead mouse in my meal. Did you? Mm. Again? Yeah, two of them. Two dead mice. Such a... How do you mean? Friggin' fucking saxophones. Two of the fuckers oh, in God, there. Yes. Why? Sorry. Why, oh, why, oh, why? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, not everyone detests a saxophone like you. Some people are actually kind of enthusiastic about it. Two of them, though? Yeah, I know. They're that ganging is, up on me. I know, that is extreme. You're right. right. You'd have serious issues with the closing track then. Oh, yeah. It's like being at WOMAD and someone comes out with drums and you go, more f***ing drums. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, here yeah. we've got more saxophones. Stop it. Well, see, the saxophone and Leave Me Alone, I dig. And it does make me think of the good side of lots of glam things. But yes, it's a mixed bag. But... You know, the cream is in there, isn't it? Like the um, Street Hassle song itself. Mm. If that had come out on, a, you know, one side of a record with something glorious on the other, it, it did. held up as the pinnacle of what he what he's done. It did. Know. Did it? And that's what I bought. Did it put it out as a sort of EP or something? Yeah, EP, 12-inch EP. Right, great. Oh, I didn't realise that. Because mm. that's the one I bought. Um, you know, I think this is Lester Bangs. It, it rings true of Lester Bangs. Reed's bizarre and half-baked semi-stardom became a travesty of his art as one of the most magical raw nerves of our time coarsened into a crude death-trip clown. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Not bad. Gotta, gotta love it. But, I mean, he still did intermittently interesting things right up through into the future. Yeah. There were some pretty sort of lost albums in the 80s and so on, but you could still find glorious things on even that thing where I talked to him about The Raven. had a few marvellous bits on it. It was a double LP, oh. so there was more other stuff to winnow through to get to it, you know. The finest yeah. thing outside of the Velvet Underground, I think he did, was with John Cale, uh, the dedication to Andy Warhol. It's called Songs for Drella. There's a song called The Dream, and it's one of the bravest things I've ever heard. Yeah, right. Where Good they start. read Andy Warhol's diary. And they say, God, I hate Lou. Yes. I hate him. You know I hate him so much. Jesus, they're playing it. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, Lou Reed, you know, I feel better talking about him now because he's dead. It's a bit like Frank Sinatra. You know, Don Rickles. I can say that about Frank. He's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You as a journalist, you must be just slightly feel safer. That's true. Although I enjoyed talking to him, and I talked more recently, like only in the last, last six months, to Laurie Anderson, who was married to him yeah. at the time when he died. And um, she said he'd been a marvellous sort of musical mentor to her because he was prepared to go anywhere that a song demanded emotionally. He was prepared to alienate people, be really difficult musically. He just wanted to have songs to have a really vivid feeling to them and strong emotional colour and so on and um, that not many people got to see the more gentle sides of him as a man. He had this sort of spiky exterior but she yeah. maintained that he was lovely in lots of ways. You would hope you would think that after because they were together for 20 years or oh, something. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. yeah well, that's a different side of things. Uh, yeah. He made a point of being an asshole to other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, was, he was notoriously sort of cantankerous. He had a sort of encounter here, didn't he, with... Um, and Tate. Well, it doesn't take much. Down, no, they went down to Grafton Cemetery and filmed an interview down there, I think. Mm.
the last song has got that horrible, you know, sort of rock and roll 50s sax where it honks along, yeah. which was a big sound for a while there. It ruins lots of great sort of Dwayne Eddy records and people like that where the, where the twangy, rumbling guitar is ma- marvellous. And then there's some sort of sax mm. over top of it. This has got a bit of that going on. and But the weirdest thing about the closing track for me is it's got a writing credit to the Cocteau Twins, the Scottish characters, Liz Fraser and those characters. And I suspect it's Liz Fraser that sings on the chorus and the alternative lines and things on this. But I don't know how he ever collided with those guys and why they ended up making a record together. The Cocteau freaking Twins. Twins are from Scotland. In 78? There's yeah. a writing credit? Yeah, it says Elizabeth Fraser, <laughs> Simon Raymond, and Robin Guthrie, who are basically the Cocteau Twins. And Lou Reed, uh, the four songwriters credited on the song. So I Good God, I found this out too late. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. I've got people on the ground in Glasgow they could have found out for me. I'll tell you something, Paul. I don't know who the f*** you are. So go and take a good f*** to yourself, do you hear me? <laughs> yes. I don't know, I've got no idea, but it's a strange sort of a thing, wait, isn't it? I know he deeply loved 50s, like Brian Eno and so many others, loved 50s sort of doo-wop era Mm. things, and it's got a bit of that vibe to it, but it's a strange sort of beast, this last shake. Strange sort of gifted cat. Yeah, one of the greats, actually, in the end, when you add it all up, how he influenced, it's Biggie. Yeah, yeah. Street Hassle from 1978, Lou Reed. Thank Grant. No worries. Wait, I know I shouldn't, but please wait. I know the time is getting late, and he has lost his hesitates. But still, I really wish that you'd wait. Although the passion might evade, and find you in another state, that we'll see this is on the stage. Oh, babe, I really think you ought to. Off you go, Lou. Thank you very much. Uh, Tomorrow evening, another edition of the Weekend Variety Wireless. And we're having a good old chat about Paul Callaghan. One of the fabulous New Zealander in so many ways. A celebrated scientist in the realms of physics. And he was one of the first to um, put forward the idea without seeming like a mad person. Let's go for a predator-free New Zealand. Well, we're 
giving it a go. So good on him. He died 2013. There's a movie about him on at the International Film Festival called Paul Callahan Dancing with Atoms. I speak with the director tomorrow night. But uh, after 8 o'clock, we'll be kicking off with Media Stick, which is always fun. Tamar Munk, our Media Sticker, tomorrow after 8 o'clock. Go to the Facebook page if you want to leave any messages and the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage if you want to find out the schedule, email, do all that sort of stuff. It's all there. It's midnight. Time for Overnight Talk. But first, the news.